0: Well, good morning first of all i want to tell you that team ukraine is back they don't know what day it is but they're safe and they have got some great stories to tell so you uh you corner one of those four guys and i guarantee you you will not be disappointed you know week after week after week we tell you that your faithful giving is making a difference literally around the world and i'm standing by the proof of that, I want to introduce you to some uh, two very special people this morning. Actually, three, because their daughter's here as well. This is Kim and Tara. These are LBC-supported missionaries in the Middle East, specifically ministering to Farsi-speaking people in the Middle East, and as you're going to hear, around the world. Uh, their daughter Lydia is right down here, and we want her to feel welcomed as well. So I'm going to let Kim share with you just a little bit. You welcome them as he begins to speak.
1: It is so good to be with you this morning in the house of God. It's great to be back and uh, visiting Pastor Chad, Pastor Jim, and Pastor Hugh, uh, Kelly. Sorry. Personal friend of mine. Personal (laughs) friend. You got it, right. So I was born and raised in Iran. If you hear me, say amen. Come on now. If you hear me, say amen. Amen. All right. I was born and raised in Iran, pastor. With grace of God, I made peace with God when I came to United States. I thank God for this land, you know. I made peace with God, and I knew two weeks after I made peace with God, why is it that I'm almost 23 years of age, and I've n- how come no one ever came to where I was? in Iran and tell me about this great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I read how Paul in 2 Corinthians 5:18 says all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusted to you and me the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are all ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Man, I knew this great news that I have captured. I've made peace with God. My family had to know about this. My people group had to know about this. And God saw how this was going to happen. Gave me a beautiful wife. We went to school. Several years later, things happened, and we're we're testifying about the great God we serve and the small world we live in, right? One of the fastest growing church is among the Farsi-speaking people. That's Iran, Afghanistan, and Tajikistan. For the last many years, in the last nine years, that as your church has partnered with us we have seen almost 2,200 Muslim people come to know the Lord. Now, it gets better. Now, hear me out. It gets better. Of this 2,200 that profess, confess their sin, 1,800 signed up in our discipleship and through one of our partner seminaries, Southeastern Seminary, Southern Baptist Seminary, that's helping these Farsi speakers to become the next leaders. 1,800 out of the 2,200. Gets better. It gets better. As we went just to make disciples, all God is asking you to do is just to show up. Just be present. Just show up. Of this 1,800, God's, from a small house church, to a gathering that God is scattering all over the globe. Do you see all of these countries? These, these are not strangers. These are people that I led, we led to the Lord. We baptized with disciples and God has sent them all over. You know what? In the next two years, you will see 80,000 Afghan move to United States. That means these are all Farsi speakers. Man, we have a window of opportunity to minister. Man, if you haven't seen the prophetic signs, we are not seeing things. In 1979, there were only 500 Muslim background believers. Today, there are over a million Farsi speakers that are professing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We, amen, Amen. we as a church, we as a small church in the Middle East, Pastor Chad, God is my witness. We have the opportunity with like 150 that I have, you know, in our church we have 150. That's a mega church for a closed country. Hundred If this 150 and the way that God is, is scattering all over the globe, we have the opportunity to reach millions of Muslims for Jesus Christ. We are in the business of reconciliation. Thank God for your church. Thank God for your partnership. Please, continue your help.
0: We're gonna pray with you guys. I would invite you to pray. This is a pastor and his wife that has a heart for people that has a heart for conversion and evangelism, and so we're going to pray for them this morning. Would you pray with me as we continue? Father, we love you today, and I'm so grateful for this sweet family, for the impact that they've made, uh, not just in the place where you've planted them, but literally around the world. Father, we can see the Great Commission lived out through the work that they have begun, and Lord, we just pray that you're going to bless them in every way in the days to come as they go back to the Middle East to continue their service and to continue to pastor. Father, I pray that you would protect them as well. They face things that that we don't even consider, that we we would never even think about, but they're threatened with those things on a regular basis. So I pray that you would just protect them as only you can. Father, we are grateful that we have the opportunity to partner with Kim and Tara and with so many other missionaries around the world as we see your great hand at work. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys give these one more round of applause as Pastor Chad Cummings?
2: amen well if we could get kim to be a little more energized <laughs> we man we'd really have something um praise god for what they're doing if you have your bibles with you this morning i encourage you to open them to the book of first samuel first samuel we're beginning a 10 year study <laughs> just kidding we're, but it might be i don't know we'll see as you're finding your place there in God's word, I do want to welcome all those who are joining us via our live stream this morning. Um, so many gather and join us via our live stream, and we pray you feel very much a part of our worship here at Lanexa Baptist Church, also the venue service right down the hall, and, and Reach Church DeSoto. Some of you may not know, we live stream uh, to the room right down the hall, um, uh, to the K Hall as we call it, and uh, they have live worship there. And uh, they get the message live streamed over there. And uh, i just been made aware this past week. A lot of people don't know that. We have another worship service occurring right now. And Reach Church DeSoto, a campus in DeSoto, that they have their own live preaching and doing a great work out there. In fact, um, I'm going to get a chance to, Faith and I, and Pastor Bill and Carrie will be out there Monday and Tuesday this week doing a conference with them on Monday and Tuesday night. And so Reach Church, I'm excited about being with you guys for a couple of nights. But we turn our attention to First Samuel. I... Um, I made the mistake of jumping right into this and not really setting aside a week just to introduce the book, which it really requires. So this morning, I got to introduce the book and take us through chapter one. It's impossible. There's no way we can do it in an hour. Um, last night, I think I preached for almost an hour, so I hope you don't have any plans for the next couple of hours. Um, the next service, they'll jump in halfway through, and we'll just pick up where we're where we're at, but we're going to do our best, so buckle in. I'm going to work through this pretty quickly. First and Second Samuel, uh, to me, these are the great stories of faith. If there's a place in God's Word that I like to go to when I just have time to read, it's First and Second Samuel. I love these two books, two of the greatest heroes of our faith, and Samuel and David. And the beauty of this is they both present to us Christ. One thing that you see of all these great biblical characters, they're all flawed. Because they point us to the one great hero, which is Jesus Christ. But in these two men, Samuel and David, we get a picture, a foreshadowing of Christ the Messiah. In fact, this book is all about the covenantal faithfulness of God to this nation Israel and his bringing forth the Messiah who will be in the line of David. But Samuel foreshadows Christ in in the midst of a dark day at just the right time. a, A son will be born to a woman in humble means. And that son will be a prophet priest and function as a king until the time of David. And God will use him to lead the people out of darkness and into his glorious light. Does that sound like somebody we know? Sounds a lot like Christ. And then with David, we know him to be the good shepherd, pointing us to the ultimate good shepherd. He's also the one who defeats Israel's greatest enemy in Goliath. And he uses his own instrument of death uh, against him to defeat him. David is also the one who is chosen of God, and yet he was rejected by his own family, rejected by the nation, pushed out under, he has to leave quickly under the cover of darkness, and as he goes away, guess what he does? He takes a bride to himself named Abigail, beloved of God, and then David will return suddenly. He'll reestablish himself as king. He'll put down the rebellion, and he'll reward the faithful. Does that sound like a king we know? chosen of God, rejected by the nation, goes away, takes a bride to himself called the church, and he'll return suddenly and establish his kingdom, and he'll put down the rebellion, and he'll reward the faithful. In both of these men, we see a picture of Christ, so know this, Old Testament book, but we're gonna see Jesus on every page. It's the beauty of God's word, the unity of scripture. Let me give you a couple of the themes that we're going to see. I wish we had more time. There's so many other themes. There's a lot of transition that occurs. And In fact, first and second Samuel only covers about 100 years. Not a great time span. The book of Judges, just to give a comparison, gives you about 400 years. Not a long time span, but there's a lot of transition that's going to occur in 1 and 2 Samuel. But let me give you a couple of themes. Number one, we're going to talk a lot about this, not this week, but then next week in the Song of Hannah. But we're going to see the greatness of God, and yet he cares for the individual. In theological terms, we would say the transcendence of God and also the eminence of God, that God is transcendent. He's the God of all creation, Lord of heaven and earth. And yet he knows each one of us by name. It's the incomparable nature of the God we serve. and We'll see this throughout the book. Another of the themes as I've been reading through this book over and over again, certainly in the first several chapters, been studying pretty intensely, the one thing that I saw here was uh, 1 Peter 5.5 5, that says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And you'll see this throughout the book of, of 1 and 2 Samuel, uh, that the humble, not just humble, but those who turn to God in humility. We'll see it this morning with Hannah, a woman in humble means, and yet she'll draw near to God, and God will hear her cry and grant her a son. And in the same chapter, you're going to see Hophni and Phineas, these two men who are proud and arrogant. They're using the religious devotion of the people to line their own pockets and literally to make themselves fat. And you know what God's going to say to them? You're fired. We're setting you guys down, and I got another guy who's going to take over. We see it with Saul. He's handsome. He's mighty, but he's proud. And God will set him down, and guess who he'll go to? The runt of the litter, the shepherd boy, who all he knows how to do is take care of sheep and worship. And God says, that will be my man, and God will raise him up. Even in these nations, the Philistines, who will be one of the greatest enemies, they'll face the Philistines. They're they're advanced technologically. They're, They're advanced in their weaponry. They're advanced in politically. Uh, they have a giant, they have a hero, and yet God will bring them low. And this nation of Israel that's a mockery to the world at the beginning of this book, God will raise them up, he'll bring them into a dynasty under David, and they'll bring them to one of the greatest time in their nation's history. In fact, you ask a Jew, tell me about your greatest time, guess what, they'll, they'll, t- they'll point you to First and Second Samuel. Um, so we'll see that God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Let me just quickly give you the theological setting. Judges, um, Joshua leads the people into the land. And then in Judges, how, how will they rule themselves? How will God carry out leadership? Well, we see in the book of Judges that God gives the responsibilities, as he always does, to the fathers. It's the family. And God gives the responsibility to fathers to pass along the faith to another generation. And yet what do you see if you read the book of Judges over and over again? You see, then the sons of Israel did what was evil. The fathers are going to have a hard time passing along their faith. The question is, why is it? Why was it so difficult for them? Well, this is my guess. They're now in the land, and now that they've got land, guess what they also have? They have homes, and they have orchards, and they're going to begin to major on the minors. Uh, And they'll be successful in all the wrong areas. The one thing God called them to do and pass along the faith, they'll fail. And so you see fathers and families begin to break down and not fulfill their task and then what about the religious leadership the Levites the priests uh, well in in Judges 17 a great story to go back and read but in Judges 17 there's a man named Micah who makes a molten Im- image and idol and we're going to begin to see idolatry infiltrate this nation but there's a there's a priest there's a Levite from the hill country of Ephraim in fact it'll be significant for Elkanah But this priest happens upon this idol and Micah says to him, listen, if you'll forget faithfulness to God and come serve me in this idol worship, I'll give you a whole lot of money and a change of clothes. And this man of God has to choose between his career and faithfulness to God. And guess what he'll choose? His career. And idolatry, a Levite, leads this nation into idolatry. So you have fathers failing. You have the, the spiritual leadership failing. And then God raises up judges, men and women, great leaders that God will use in powerful ways. And they start out pretty good with Othniel, this old man, faithful. But it's a downward spiral if you study the judges all the way down to Samson, who's mighty and strong, but he never quotes scripture, doesn't pray until the enemy has got a problem with prostitutes. And you'll see a downward spiral in the leadership. And so at the end of this, you have no king, no leadership. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar? When a nation rejects God, turns away from God. When fathers don't fulfill their mission of passing along their faith. When the spiritual leadership compromises. When the preachers and the pulpits compromise the message and the truth. And when you have political leaders who are corrupt... Guess what happens? It leads to the downward spiral of that nation. If I ever get invited to Congress, this is what I'm preaching, all right, right here. I've got it ready to go. I will never get invited, but that's okay. So, dark time in the nation. Dark time in the nation. But has God made promises to this nation? Yes, he has. Does God fulfill his promises Yes, he does. That's what this book is all about, a faithful God that despite the unfaithfulness of his people, God is always faithful. In fact, you're going to see a word, remembered, the Lord remembered. We're going to see it a couple times this morning, maybe three times. It doesn't mean that God ever forgot. God never forgets anything. When it says that God remembers, it's referring to his covenantal faithfulness that God remembered, he's faithful to his promises and he'll bring about his perfect plan and purpose. And as we begin to move forward, so you've got this really dark day and in the midst of the darkness though, there's gonna be a little flicker of light that's gonna begin to shine and it's gonna come in the midst of a family. We're gonna see this later that one of the ways when God wants to reform a nation, guess where he begins? In the family, in the home. It starts in the home. And so if you read Luke, there's so many parallels, because you remember in Luke, after the uh, intertestamental period and the unfaithfulness of the nation, it's a dark time, and yet there's, in in Luke's gospel, there's a couple, isn't there? A light begins to flicker, and you remember who they were? Zacharias and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was what? She's barren. But God's going to promise her a son. He's going to be the forerunner. Well, right here in the midst of a dark day, God moves in the heart of a woman. A humble woman in the midst of a painful situation but she's faithful she's faithful in every aspect of her life despite the fact that everything is against her she lives in an immoral day with all kinds of idolatry uh, she's got she's in a bad situation there's two wives in the home it's awful she can't have children everything seems to be stacked against her anybody feel that way today man it feels like every in every aspect of your life, you're getting the raw end of the deal. That was her. But listen to me. This is the principle of Hannah's life. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. Success for us as believers is not based on your circumstance, but based on your faithfulness to God. Success for the believers is not based on your circumstance. It's based on your faithfulness to God. And so Hannah... Hannah's gonna give us hope because despite all these circumstances, she's committed to God. She's gonna bring forth a son who will lead this nation out of darkness, a great reformation. Many believe that Martin Luther was inspired by Samuel. He was emboldened by the testimony of Samuel who's gonna bring about reformation in this nation. And so with that in mind, let's pray. We got a lot of verses to cover. Let's pray, work our way through this chapter. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your word this morning. We need you. We are so grateful, we don't take this lightly, when we open your word that you have spoken to us, told us who you are, told us who we are, and you told us how we relate to you and how we shall live. Pray that we would see the biblical principles of this text, and God, we wouldn't just simply be hearers, but doers of your word. We're not looking to become more educated, we want to become transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. So speak to us, change us today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, look with me. Verse one, it says, Now there was a certain man from Ramathim, Zophim, the hill country of Ephraim. Ramathim, uh, many believe this is referring to the watchmen, kind of a line of of Levites. They were watchmen. Um, Ramathim, Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Alkanah. Now, Elkanah there, if you have a scripture that has cross-references, you should see a cross-reference there, and it's going to take you to 1 Chronicles 6. We don't have time to go there. But what this shows us is that Elkanah is from the Levitical line. He's a priest. But it's also going to tell us, if you read on here, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. So you have somebody here from the Levitical line, And yet it refers to him as an Ephraimite. How can you be a Levite and an Ephraimite? Well, let me tell you what I think is occurring here. Levites, you remember, they weren't given land. They settled in these 48 cities scattered throughout the nation. I think what's happening here is you have a a Levite, Elkanah, who just so happens to have settled in the land of Ephraim from the hill country of Ephraim. What's also significant about this is you'll remember I referred to Judges 17, there's a lot of parallels here because in Judges 17, you're gonna have the first instance of a priest initiating idolatry into the nation. And Elkanah's name, do you know what it means? God takes back. What Satan took in idolatry, guess what God's getting ready to do? He's gonna take it back. This line is mine, and I'm going to raise up somebody from this man who will reform the nation, and he'll be a priest. And so we see that Elkanah, he he's a, he's a godly man, but look in verse 2. He had two wives. So a godly man, but not real smart. Uh, he's going to take two wives. Uh, listen, in the Old Testament, you see a lot of polygamy. Not uncommon in the Old Testament. It was never condoned by God. God's design is one man and one woman. It's Adam and Eve. That is God's design, and every instance where you see polygamy, it always leads to trouble. Always leads to trouble. Not God's design. God doesn't condone it, but He permits it due to the sinfulness of man. You know what else we learn here too? Even with this, is we learn that Elkanah, although he is seeking faithfulness, he's flawed. Wives, can I let you in on something that you probably already know this morning? That man, he might be a faithful man in a lot of ways, but he's flawed. He's a flawed man. He's a sinner. If you're engaged this morning, you got a fiancé, just give him some time. He's flawed. You'll learn. (laughs) But you know the beauty of this? You know what you're going to see in Hannah? Even though she's married a flawed man, she's going to seek to be respectful she's gonna be obedient to what God commanded her to do. It's gonna be a powerful picture here. Two wives, Hannah, uh, uh, one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina, and Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Verse three, now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. It's interesting, he's going up, he's going to worship, and many believe they go up three times a year. They didn't have to take their family, but Elkanah's gonna take his family. This is a man who's seeking to be faithful, and it mentions Hophni and Phinehas. Why would it mention Hophni and Phinehas here? Well, if you know Hophni and Phinehas, they're, they're incredibly corrupt men, they're evil. You know what I think scripture's doing right here? God is contrasting the faithfulness of a man who's seeking to be faithful to God with two men who are evil and corrupt. And I love this, that even though, don't you know that Elkanah probably knows that Hophni and Phinehas are to some extent corrupt? But it will not deter him from fulfilling his obligation to worship the Lord. There's a lot of believers who say, well, there's a lot of corruption in the church. And for that reason, I'm going to renege on my obligation to go and worship. That wasn't Elkanah. I'm going to be faithful regardless of what the leaders do. And so he's just seeking to be faithful. He goes up and worship, takes his family. Verse 4, when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he gave portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and to her daughters. But to Hannah, he'd give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. Hannah is in the midst of a bad situation. Not only is she barren, which was for, barrenness is never a good thing, very painful. But certainly in this day, children were your insurance policy. They were your 401K. They were assurance that you'd be provided for in your old age, and she didn't have that. Painful situation and what makes it worse, she's sharing the home with another wife and this other wife, she's having children left and right. She's having one in the spring and two in the fall. (laughs) It's a bad deal. And in the midst of this, so she's in a painful situation, incredibly painful. And you know what it says here? It says the Lord closed her womb. Doesn't say it once, it's gonna say it again in the very next verse. The Lord closed her womb. Scripture's not shy about who's caused this pain and this barrenness, that God wants everyone to know that her pain is not a result of her sin. God takes full responsibility, that God is sovereign over every aspect of this this story, that the problems that she's facing, they have been purposed by God. Now, now you and I, looking back on this story, well, we can say, of course God has a purpose in this pain. God's going to bring her to her knees. She's going to pray. She's going to vow a child to the Lord. It's going to bring about Samuel, who will bring about great reformation in the nation. So we look at it and say, yeah, Hannah, just trust God. That's nice for us, but what if you're just this woman in pain? God, have you forgotten me? God, do you not care about me? And God says, I closed your womb. Why? That's for me to know that you don't get the end of the story. You just have to trust me. Can I just speak to those of you who are going through pain and trial today? Whatever pain or trial you're going through, God is asking you, will you trust him? To trust that he has a purpose in your pain, even when you can't see it, because biblical success doesn't come from having all the answers True success doesn't come from having perfect circumstances, and it it doesn't come from having all the answers. True success is found when we're faithful to God, when all that we have is His word and a promise of His presence. That's Hannah. So, in the midst of her pain, she's going to trust God. Verse seven, or verse six, her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would would provoke her so she wept and would not eat. Powerful here. She's not having, it says year after year, she's not just having a bad week or, or even a bad year. She's having a bad decade. And she's brought to a place where it says she would not eat. When they would go and offer these sacrifices, when you would eat of the sacrifice, it was symbolically demonstrating that you were in fellowship with God. But it says here of Hannah that she won't eat. Do you know what I think Hannah is saying? God, I'm not really feel like I'm in fellowship with you right now. Hannah's bitter. She's mad at God. God hasn't given me what I want and I'm upset and I'm not going to pretend like everything's all right. There's people who are going through pain and trials Say, God, I'm not going to church this week. Because I'm not going to go to church and pretend like everything's right when you and I are not in a good spot. That's Hannah, she's frustrated. I'm not eating. I'm not going over there and going through the motions when my heart's not in, and I'm upset with God.
1: It's
2: a woman in bitterness. Look at verse eight, I love this Elkanah, Her husband said to her, "Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than 10 sons?" I love, don't you love Elkanah? Why are you upset you got me? (laughs) (laughs) That's the way us men think. (laughs) And we laugh about it, but you know what I also think? I think there's also an aspect of Elkanah who's just trying to tell his wife, I do love you, and I'm gonna do my best to take care of you. I think in many ways, Elkanah is kind of reproving his wife. He's saying to her, listen, you're frustrated at what you don't have. Let me tell you about what you do have. You have a husband who loves you. God has provided for you, and God will continue to provide for you. And Elkanah, in many ways, is saying, honey, go worship. Just because you don't feel like it, don't let it cause you to neglect what you know is right. And so he's loving her. He's trying his best to love his wife when it's not easy to love. And you know the beauty of this? Look at the very next verse. Verse nine, then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Do you know what Hannah does? She receives the correction of her husband. Folks, I can't overstate the power of this. Here's a woman who's frustrated. She's upset. Her husband comes to her and says, listen, God loves you. I love you. God is going to take care of you. You need to go worship. And she responds. What is is the, the responsibility of a husband? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Do you know what I think Elkan is trying to do? He's trying to love his wife. And what is the responsibility of a wife? Wives, see to it that you respect your husband. They're not a perfect marriage, but they're seeking faithfulness. And Hannah's going to respond in faithfulness to God. She's going to respond in faithfulness to a flawed husband. And it moves her to do what? Look at what she does. Then in verse 9, Hannah rose after eating, drinking, Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will uh, we'll give your maidservant a son, then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. So in the midst of Hannah's pain, she's going to commit herself to the Lord. She's she's long on pain, she's short on answers. But here is what Hannah does know: in the midst of her pain, she knows that God is her only hope and her greatest joy. As I read this, I couldn't help but think of the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15. You remember she comes to Jesus seeking healing on her daughter's behalf, who's demon possessed. And there's a lot of circumstances, but essentially Jesus says it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Now, I don't know about you, but if that's me, I'm going to say, well, if that's how you treat people, I think I'm out of here. But that woman didn't leave. Do you know why I think she didn't leave? Because she knew, although it might feel like Jesus is against me right now, I also know he's the only hope I got. And so I'm going to keep clinging. And you'll remember, she says she's a very uh, witty woman. She says, yes, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the children's table. And Jesus says, I've never seen faith like this in Israel. Your daughter's healed. Here is Hannah, a woman who, when it feels like God is against her, she won't let go of God because she knows that there is a Lord of hosts, a God who's all-powerful. And so the pain in her life doesn't push her away from God. It pushes her towards God. The pain in her life is going to take her where she's never been. It's gonna drive her to a depth of spirituality that she's never known before. Listen, Hannah has probably prayed before and she's probably sacrificed the Lord before but never like this. She's greatly distressed in prayer. There are a lot of people, their faith, their faith is just going through the motions. Sometimes their faith is their faith of their parents. They know how to go to church. They know how to pray and say a casual prayer. They know how to read their Bible. But they've never been brought to a place where they offered themselves completely to God from the depth of their soul and most of the time none of us will ever really get there until god pushes us to that place isn't it interesting i don't know about you but the great times when i've grown in my faith have not been the times of blessing and peace it's been when god brought me into positions of trial and he kind of squeezed prayer out of me where i gave myself completely to him you know what i've learned we're 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 innately shallow beings At our base level, our goal is simply to be happy and healthy and wealthy. That is what we want. Most of our faith is essentially trying to get through, get to God to to jump through our hoops, to grant us all of our self-centered ambitions. That's the way we are, and God knows it. But here's the deal, God is a good father, and good fathers don't spoil their children because they know that greatness doesn't come out of prosperity. Greatness comes out of struggle. And God is not committed. Listen to me. He's not committed to our happiness, but to our greatness. And the problem with that is most of the time we don't want to be great. We just want to be happy. I mean, how, do, how often do we pray? I mean, I, listen, I'm not speaking out to anybody. I, I fall in this trap too. But how often do we pray, God, take all my life. Take whatever you want. You can have my money. You can have my health. You can have my job. Take whatever you want. All I want is faithfulness to you. I just want to be used for your glory. Now normally our prayers are what, give me, give me, give me. Well, the fact of the matter is, most of us are into the prosperity gospel, but get this this morning, God's not into it. You may not have known this when you, when you signed up for heaven, but this is part of the deal. When you trusted in Christ, you entered into a school of faith. And God is going to, God is going to teach you to trust him. He's going to knock out props from underneath your life, all the things that you're trusting in other than him that you think are going to bring you happiness, and he's going to knock them out from underneath your life so that all you have left is to trust in him, and then he'll raise you up for his great purposes. Hannah's pain brings her to a new level of faith and commitment to God. She's going to lay down her life, lay down even the life of her child, everything she has, because even though it may feel like God is against her, she knows He is our only hope. She even commits a Nazarite vow that this child to raise her never. I think her heart is, not only am I going to give you my child, I'm going to give you my very best. He's going to be totally committed to you. Look at verse 12. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. This is that nature of the incomparable God that is great I picture this. Hannah is not even vocalizing her words. She's just praying them in her heart, and her lips are moving. Is God so great but yet also so personal that he can hear the slightest whispers of his children? That's the greatness of the God we serve. She humbles herself, and she's just praying in her heart to God. And we see that Eli makes a terrible mistake Eli thought she was drunk. The end of verse 13, Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. This is the spiritual temperature of the na- nation. The priest, the most godly man, the guy that's supposed to be the spiritual leader, can't tell the difference between a woman who is pouring her heart out to God and drunkenness. Verse 15, but Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I'm, not, I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I've spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. And then Eli answered and said, "Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you've asked him. What's interesting about this? He doesn't even say, "May God give you a son." Why? Because he doesn't even know what she asked for. He's just saying, "May God grant your petition." Verse 18, then she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. You know, this is a beautiful picture of how prayer should work. Powerful picture of how prayer should work. Prayer is you and I pleading with God for his promises to be fulfilled, for him to remember his promises. We've talked about this. Prayer is you telling dad about the promises he made. That's what Hannah's doing. You promised to be faithful to this nation. She's prayed. If you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. We plead with God. But when we lay it at the altar, we walk away. And guess what we have? We have a peace of knowing that there is an incomparable God who is great and mighty. He's the Lord of hosts, Lord Sabaoth. And he has ways of bringing about his promises. It, this, is, this is Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Isn't that good? You pray with thankfulness, why? Because you know God will bring about his perfect purposes with thanksgiving your heart and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We plead with God and we walk away with peace because we serve a mighty God who hears our prayers. Then in verse 19, then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. There it is, the Lord remembered Not that God ever forgot, but God remembered his promises. It's a reference to God's covenantal faithfulness to this nation. Verse 20, it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel. The name is God, that's what Samuel means. The name is God. This kid would forever be reminded you are a gift from God. Saying because I've asked him of the Lord. Verse 21, then the man of went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her, her husband, I will not go up until the child is winged. And then I'll bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. It sounds kind of like Hannah's stubborn. Um, Elkanah says, we're going to go up and worship. Hannah says, I ain't going anywhere. But you know what? I think there's a beautiful picture here you know what I think Hannah's saying? I prayed a long time for this kid. And everything else in my life right now takes a back seat to my responsibility to raise and disciple this young man to love God with all his heart. I think this is a powerful picture for us as parents. Listen, when God gives you children, And I'm not talking about, listen, don't mishear me. I'm not saying you should stay home, not go to work. I'm not saying any of that. But let me tell you this. Let me make plain this morning. If God gives you children, I don't care whatever else you're doing in this world, your number one responsibility is to raise those children, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. That's the number one responsibility. Everything takes a back seat to that. Listen, I do a lot of funerals. I've never gotten to a funeral. And, and you get there and you get to the end of a man's life and he say, boy, I sure wish I'd have worked more at work. Man, I, I, I wish I hadn't taken those vacations. Even Billy Graham at the end of his life, if there was one regret he had. Is that he should have spent more time with his family. Listen, don't succeed at the wrong things. Don't climb the ladder of success only to realize you leaned it up against the wrong building. Hannah says, I'm not making that mistake. I prayed for this child. I'm gonna be faithful. I'm gonna usher him into the presence of God. When the time is right, I'll take him. When he's weaned, I'll take him. But until then, I'm not taking vacations. I'm not going over there. We're not taking no trips. I'm gonna raise this child. Beautiful picture. And so, uh, verse 23, Elkanah said to her, uh, her husband said to her, uh, do what seems better. You know what I love this? Elkanah realizes the wisdom of his wife as a mom and says, you do what the Lord told you to do. Man, I tell you, the more I look at this, although there's a lot of messed up stuff in this marriage, boy, I see a beauty of a husband who loves his wife and a wife who seeks to respect her husband. Remain until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until it, she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with, uh, with her, with a three-year-old boy and one eef of a and a jug of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young, Powerful picture, she's gonna ring. A lot of different interpretive issues here. Some say three three three-year-old bulls, uh, probably three sacrifices. We don't know if she just took one bull, but she probably made three sacrifices, a burnt offering, symbolizing her complete uh, submission to God, uh, a sin offering and a peace offering. Um, And then the eph of a flower and wine, the flower demonstration of all that we have, every good gift comes back from God. And and a libation of the wine would be poured out as symbolically demonstrating that she was completely poured out before the Lord. Isn't this a powerful picture? Can you imagine this woman, everything she has in life? The only, I think that the only two comparisons to this woman laying this child down is Abraham with Isaac. But both of those situations point us to who? God the Father with his son Jesus laying them on the altar for us. Here's a woman. She brings her child. Now, listen, don't be bringing any kids up to the doorpost of the church here, all right? You don't want us. It'd be a bad deal. But she's ushering this child, powerful. She's, She's raised him to love God, and she takes him right up to the very presence of God. Where was the presence of God in the Old Testament? It was at the tabernacle. That's where she's going. The tabernacle is in Shiloh at this moment. Later it'll be in Jerusalem. That's one of the great transitions you're going to see here. But she ushers this child to the very presence of God. Now where does the presence of God reside today? In our hearts and lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Parents our goal should be to usher our children into the very presence of God by our words and by our actions. That's the goal. That's the prayer. And that's exactly what Hannah does. And you know what I love this about? The powerful picture here because I think it's important for some of you to hear. Hannah. Drops off Samuel, but Samuel still has to make a choice, doesn't he? Samuel could have followed in the path of Hophni and Phinehas, but Samuel is going to make his own choice to follow God and to be faithful to him. Parents, listen to me. Your success as parents is not determined by the outcome of your children, it's determined by your faithfulness to do your job, to love them and point them to Christ. Our faithfulness or our success is always based not on the outcome, not on the circumstances. It's based on our faithfulness to the Lord. A powerful picture of Hannah, her faithfulness to God, and God's covenantal faithfulness to the people. Let me give you a few practical applications as we close. One, God is sovereign and he's concerned about you. And God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who spoke creation into existence, and yet he cares about you. There's some, they want to emphasize one over the other. Some people emphasize the sovereignty of God, but they talk about his greatness, but then they'll say at the same time, but he's really too big to ever care about me. Those are deists. We believe in God, but he doesn't care about me. Other people will emphasize that God is love, but then neglect his sovereignty and his greatness. The picture that we see in the book of 1 and 2 Samuel is that God is great, he is sovereign, he's mighty, he's the Lord of hosts, and he cares about you. He knows your name, and he listens to the slightest whisper of his children when they pray. Powerful picture. We're going to learn all about it. It's the theme of Hannah's song next week, so you've got to come back next week to get the rest of the story. Two, God has purpose in our pain. God's purpose was not simply to inflict pain on Hannah, but to bring her to a new level of commitment in giving a child back to God that would be used for his purposes. She can't see that at this point, and most of the time when we're going through painful situations in our lives, we can't see it either, but we simply must trust God. Do you know what I think our prayer should be? I think a really good example of how our prayer should work when when we're facing difficult things, sometimes things that we brought on ourselves, sometimes more often than not what we see here certainly is that these things just happen. And we find ourselves in a trial. You know what I think our prayer should be? Lord, if there's any other way to do this. We don't rejoice in pain, do we? We don't rejoice in the loss of children. We don't rejoice in broken marriages. We don't rejoice in infertility we don't rejoice in the stuff that we face and so we tell the Lord we're honest with him if there's any other way we don't want to go through this God we don't we plead with God but at the end of the day not my will but yours be done in other words we say to God I don't want to go through this but if you lead me through the pain might be great but I know this your mercy is more And I'm going to cling to you no matter what. Why? Because it leads us to our fourth thing. Fourth, you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. Isn't the beauty of this story? I love this. Hannah in 1 Samuel 2, uh, 21, it says, The Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. I think she thought this was it. I think she took Samuel there and dropped him off and said, God, thank you. Thank you. And I know that's probably it. But thank you. And don't you just imagine God in heaven smiling. Hannah, just wait and see. You're going to have your hands full. Listen to me this morning. You cannot give God. We don't give to get. That's not the principle. But listen to me. Whenever you give back to God, you cannot give him. Even, listen, even if you give God everything and you end your life destitute with nothing, like Lottie Moon coming back on a ship to the United States, dies with zero Listen to me. What she gained in eternity far surpasses anything she gave up in this life. You cannot outgive God. Can I challenge you today? Give your life to him today. Give him all your hopes and your dreams. Give him faithfulness in your marriage. Give him faithfulness in your parenting. If you're single, give him faithfulness in your singleness. Be faithful to Christ. Be faithful to his word. Be faithful to his mission. Because your success as a believer is not determined by your circumstances or your stuff. It's determined by your ability to cling to God no matter what. Knowing he will never let you down and he will not let his people be put to shame. I can promise you today if you give God all your life and faithfulness, you'll not regret it. In his presence is the fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do we have a hymn today? Oh, we got to have a hymn today. The choir and orchestra were back. A man by the name of Thomas Andrew was born in a small town in Georgia in 1899. At the age of 11, he moved to Atlanta. He was enamored with blues and playing the piano. Later on, his family moved to Chicago. He attended the College of Composition and Arranging. And soon, he was on the stage under the name Georgia Tom, playing those barrel house pianos in one of Al Capone's speakeasies in chicago leading jazz bands but in 1921 he went to the national baptist convention invited by a friend and there he heard the good news of jesus christ he placed all of his faith in jesus and he began writing gospel songs in august 1932 he had been invited to lead worship at a conference in st louis His wife was in the final month of her pregnancy and didn't really want to go, but they said, so many people are expecting you. So he drove over to St. Louis and he led a day of worship there, singing songs, leading the people to praise the Lord. Towards the end of that, he received a note and it said, your wife has died. Immediately stopped, ran to a phone, and all he heard on the other line was, Nettie is dead. Hung up the phone, a friend drove him through the night back to Chicago, and there, when he returned home, he found out that not only had his wife passed, but so had the baby. He said in that moment, he had no more desire to serve God no more desire to write songs he said these exact words it felt like God was against him the next Saturday he was sitting in a friend's music room piano was there he said a strange feeling just came over him in a sudden quiet stillness he made his way to the piano and he said the words just began to fall from heaven. And he wrote the hymn, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Father of Gospel Music is what he's known as. We're going to try to sing that. Me and Bill worked on it a little bit this morning. Y'all stand. If we can sing it together, be good. I'm going to do my best.
3: my hand. I
2: As We come before you this morning. I know there's some in this room. They're going through some severe trials. Maybe like Hannah, they find themselves in a position where it seems like every which way they turn, they always end up on the raw end of the deal. And in the midst of their circumstances right now, they can't see any way in which this could lead to success or lead them to having great impact in this world, I pray that they would draw hope from Hannah, that in the midst of their pain, they wouldn't run away from you, they'd run towards you, that even though it may feel like you're against them, they would realize today you're their only hope and they would cling to you knowing that you have ways. You're the Lord of hosts and you hear the cries of your children. And so we say together, Lord, take our hand, lead us home. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.